Time for Declare Your Independence with Ernest Hancock. Believe me when I say we have a difficult time ahead of us. But if we are to be prepared for it, we must first shed our fear of it. I stand here without fear because I remember. I remember that I am here not because of the path that lies before me, but because of the path that lies behind me. I remember that for 100 years we have fought these machines. And after a century of war, I remember that which matters most. We are still here! Now, um, yeah, we're doing a bunch of stuff, and uh, you know, maybe Scott and I get caught up later after or something like that. But we're going to do an hour of um, uh, getting reacquainted with Scott Horton. Now, Scott Horton was at Porcupine Freedom Festival there in the uh, Mises Caucus, the Libertarian Party tent there, you know, making friends and such. And um, uh, we didn't have a lot of time to talk, but, um, you know, I wanted to make sure that we got updated on war. You know, anti-war radio, Scott Horton, been doing that for, like, ever since I've known him, since the mid-2000s. That's been, God, man, you're 15 years or so into this. And, of course, after interviewing a lot of the peoples that knew, you know, he writes books. Now, the uh, fool's errand about, you know, this is just get out of Afghanistan. And I don't know what his thing was on how Biden did it, but whatever, did it, and we're out. Kind of. Sort of. Are we really out? I don't know. Then we got Yemen. You know, that going on there, nobody was paying attention to. You know, I was kind of screaming about it. And then, you know, Scott got all on it, and we got learnified there. Now, you know, hotter than the sun, thermonuclear war or something, you know, we're going to be talking about a little bit. But Scott was in the middle of the takeover, or at least knows the guys that knew, um, of the Libertarian Party to the entire executive structure, the Libertarian National Committee of the Libertarian Party went Mises. Now, these, we've had uh, the people on, you know, talking about this. We kind of, you know, round the edges a little bit. And we had Stephen Kinsella, you know, spend some time with us. We talked about, you know, his role in it and so on. And uh, we have some other people that, you know, we have scheduled and we'll get an update on what the Libertarian Party is doing. But Scott has always had a, a, a desire to help form a policy, foreign policy inside the Libertarian Party to reflect I don't know, truth, justice, and whatever the hell the American way is, as a libertarian policy that we can use to educate the populace. Well, I think Scott's now in a position to have a great influence on that. To what? I don't know. We're going to find out. Well, let's say hello to Mr. Scott Horton. Hello, Scott. How are you? Can you hear I'm me? doing great, oh. Ernest. Great to talk to you again. That's Ron Paul's middle name, by the way. Did you know that? What, Scott? No, Ernest. Oh, is it really? God, I think I might have known that. and I've got, Which, you know, Yes, and I think that describes his and your personality perfectly. Thank you. Thank you. It's very kind. You know, um, Scott, I tell you, the biggest thing that I want to, we'll get to all your books and everything, but I tell you, um, if I were to 
want to ask somebody geopolitics, you know, how real threat of war coming from really where and really who and really, really what's going on. I go to Scott and we'll just start right off for the audience. What does the audience need to know now? What is it we need to know? There's something America needs to freaking know. We'll get into all the details and other stuff later, but, you know, help us out, man. What do we need to know that you know you think we should know? Oh, look, um, I think it's sort of a dual track thing. The worst war in the world for the last seven years, which we have a real chance of bringing to an end now, is the American-Saudi-UAE war against Yemen. At the same time, we have a pretty bad, not equally, but very bad war between Russia and Ukraine that risks all of mankind, that risks the lives of billions of people. And um, and risk setting whoever survives the nuclear war and the nuclear winter back thousands of years or, you know, a thousand years. I guess they'd have some new technology to rebuild with. But you're talking about, you know, the apocalypse. They call it Armageddon for a reason. The, the idea of a full scale thermonuclear war is it's mass killing of biblical proportions. You'd have a World War Two worth of dead in just the first few strikes, right? In the first few minutes you'd have 60, 70 million dead, like what died in World War II, just at the very outset of the war. And it'd be, it would get worse from there. Who and, wants this? You know, it seems like there's a drumbeat well, towards this. By whom? No one. Look, uh, um, and here's the problem always with this subject, right, is to sound concerned at all sounds like you're being an alarmist and you're ringing the bell and you're declaring that the nukes are going to go off and get your sandwich board, the end is nigh. And this kind of thing. And then you write yourself right off as, um, you know, saying anything of, about something of serious concern. At the same time, though, I mean, follow that argument to its conclusion. You're saying that there's no conflict between America and Russia that could actually raise the risk of nuclear war by any measurable degree. Um, if that's not your argument, then I think if you look very carefully at what's going on in Eastern Europe right now, that you have to acknowledge that the for well first and foremost the putin government but the biden government as well and their allies in, in western europe and in eastern europe they have raised the risk of nuclear war for all of mankind which they have no right to do uh over policies that you know frankly are just completely unreasonable um now it's true that the americans really picked this fight more than anything and that the russians have a case for what they've done. Not that I believe it's good enough. I believe that it's not good enough. I think they had other alternatives other than starting a war. I do know that if you, if the roles were reversed, America would have started a war long before Russia did. Yeah. Uh, but that's not my standard. Um, I mean, it is an illegal, aggressive war, and thousands and thousands, maybe tens of thousands of civilians have been killed. And it's a it's a horrible and ugly thing. Um let me, but, let me, I want to I want to get your definition of a, a word that used to be really common, you know, back in, you know, when I was younger and it was brink brinksmanship, you know, yeah. to the brink. You know, this, you know, who's going to you know test us to the to the brink? We're going to do the brink. Right, playing chicken, playing chicken out on the highway. 
And yeah. the brinksmanship back then was like uh, mutually assured destruction. Mad, you know, it's going to be. And right. who who wants to go to the brink? Yeah, we'll do it. No, we'll do it. We really do it. No, we really, really will do it. The clock gets closer to midnight of thermonuclear and brink. And, and you know, who blinks first? You know, who who get, get us to the brink? Look, oh, and, you know, and that presupposes that there are some people that, you know, um, don't really want a detonation. In my opinion, if there is thermonuclear uh, aggressive action, one, it's over. You guys are done. What good are you? You didn't stop it. You know, you allowed it to happen. You put us in a situation to do this. You failed. You know, yeah, but we won. Three. You failed. Yeah, but we killed more people than them. You failed. So war and this, that would be a restart in the minds of people. I'm just like, I just want to make sure that I get that in there, that right. this goes, it doesn't matter who wins. It's the fact that it happened. So I'm wondering, right. who are the Brinksmen? Right, so, you know? right, okay, so great question and great setup. And listen, in 1985, when the Soviet Union was still standing strong and looked like it was going to stand for another 30, 40, whatever, indefinite future, into the indefinite future, um, Ronald Reagan and Mikhail Gorbachev put out a joint statement that yeah. said a nuclear war can never be won and must never be fought. In other words, just like you're saying, if we lost one city and completely annihilated the enemy on the other side, that's equal to the worst case scenario. It's, you know, essentially in terms of sin, it's just as bad. In terms of failure on our government's fault to keep the peace, it's just as bad. It would be the most Pyrrhic victory ever. Imagine losing New York City. Um, all those people and all that wealth and all those museums and all the everything there that exists in that, you know, square mileage of those boroughs and what have you. Just that would be absolutely an incalculable loss um, in terms of the humanity and, and in every other way uh, to this country. And and here's the thing about it. Right. Is for the reason that you just said mutually assured destruction. That does ensure that it is a very, well, I don't want to say very, it is a low risk that we would get into a nuclear war because no one wants to get into a war. Putin doesn't want a nuclear war any more than Ronald Reagan wanted a nuclear war in the early 80s during his brinkmanship or any more than Joe Biden wants a nuclear war now. Nobody does. But the fact of the matter is America is picking a fight. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just like, when you say more than Biden, I don't there? think Biden's there. I, I don't think he's Oh, man, really, it looks like I lost you. I, oh. You got me? I'm going to go ahead and turn off the uh, video stream well, so that we uh, have uh, a better signal. But we'll go ahead and I'll be recording you. You just won't get my feed. But yeah, that seems a bit the, better. Yeah, we'll do that. The um, My thing is, is that. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah, that's better there. Yeah, okay. Because I got a little bandwidth. But my thing. Well, look, Biden is not completely checked out, but. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Ernie. Go ahead, buddy. No, no, no. I, uh, Biden. I, I see. My thing is, is that Biden is um, is a really bad placeholder with a really bad, worse backup placeholder. I mean, I'm just this is so bad on so many levels that well, I can't team, take him seriously. His team really sucked. Yeah. Look, Anthony Blinken and Jake Sullivan and um, you know um, uh, Austin. I'm sorry. What's his first name? Lloyd Austin, um, these are not our best top guys, man. I mean, this is a real problem that we're stuck with these guys. And Blinken especially, well, and Sullivan especially. And these are just, ugh, 
well, I think Sullivan's even worse than Blink, frankly. But um, they and and Joe Biden himself has always been horrible on everything. In fact, that may be his only saving grace is that he has already been bad on every single thing under the sun there is to be bad on, and there's almost nowhere to go except like maybe learn a couple of lessons from that. And I, you know, he did to his credit. Um, face down much of the foreign policy establishment at the beginning of this thing and say, look, we are not doing a no-fly zone and we are not putting American troops in Ukraine, which they do have CIA there. But, he, you know, he was, um, you know, he really was facing a lot of pressure from Hawks to do more, even more than he's done. And and uh, not to give him too much credit or anything, of course, he should have done the exact opposite of intervene at all. He should have negotiated and prevented the war from happening at all. Again, as you said, he failed. The fact that this war in Ukraine is happening at all is a failure of Joe Biden in the first place. Um, but it could be worse. And, I, and it does go to show that at the end of the day, he still calls some of the shots. You know what I mean? Whenever the staff can't agree, they got to come to him to break the tie at least. Um, and... Uh, you know, and you're right. If Kamala Harris was in charge, and God help us, I mean, really, be the same thing, right? Yeah, she would I mean, keep what's the Sullivan difference? and Blinken and, and and Austin, and they'd decide. But yeah, this, um, yeah, I want to talk. I'm sorry, what did you say? No, I was saying, you know, what's the difference, Kamala? I mean, that's why the Clintons wanted. Well, let me so let bad. me get back to the nukes here real quick because here's here's the thing of it is, and and people really need to be able to understand this. I think you can. Everybody, picture Europe in your head here now. Back in the 80s, what Ernie was talking about in our brinksmanship with the Soviet Union, we used to draw the line at the Elbe River halfway across Germany. Okay, East Germany and everything east of there was under Soviet control, the Russian Empire, Communist Empire at the time. Right. So all of Poland, Hungary, Czechoslovakia and um, and of course, Ukraine and Belarus and the Baltic states, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia. And uh, whoever I'm leaving out, I don't know, all under the domination of the commies. Austria was sort of a neutral. Yugoslavia was sort of neutral, but was commie, but was not completely under the domination of the of the Soviets. But anyway, um, when the Soviets cracked down on, in fact, CIA, uh, at least in the case of Hungary, a CIA instigated uh, uprising. I think it was the same thing in Czechoslovakia. So that was in 56 under Ike Eisenhower, and then, or was it 58? I'm sorry, Ernie. Um, I, it might have been 58. And then under um, under uh, uh, Lyndon Johnson, there was about a se- massive crackdown on what was called the Prague the Spring in Czechoslovakia. In. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, exactly. And then um, it wasn't quite as bad, but it was still pretty rough oppression when under Ronald Reagan, the Soviets cracked down on what was called the Polish Solidarity Movement, an anti-communist movement led by labor unions. Imagine that. This yeah, sucks. Lorenzo we want to be free. Yeah. yeah. So in all these cases, the Reds cracked down. And in all these cases, Eisenhower, LBJ, and Reagan said, hey, tough. You're too far east. You're under their sphere of influence, not ours. There's nothing we can do for you, man. Sorry. That's it. And there was a recognition there. And now what's happened is we've moved the line 1,200 miles east all the way to Russia's border. And that includes under W. Bush incorporating Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia, the Baltic states, right on Russia's border, or two out of three share a border with Russia. Um, And then um, now they're bringing in Sweden and Finland. They've tried to overthrow the government of Belarus twice. 
in 2005 and in 2021. And um, of course, they've overthrown the government of Ukraine twice in 10 years, 2004 and 2014. In 2004, they prevented an elected government from taking power. In 2014, they overthrew that same guy who did finally take power after the election of 2010. Uh, four years after that, they overthrew him and thus started the war. Um, and so you have, I mean, it's just, look, I'm from here, Ernie, and I know you're from here too. And even though we're not statists and nationalists, like we're patriots and this is our land and these are our countrymen and things like that. But that just does not absolve Bill Clinton and W. Bush and Obama and Trump and Biden of the decisions that they have made. I mean, it just doesn't. You know, if I said to you, Ernie, you know, you are Bill Clinton and Bill Clinton is you because it says we the people in the Constitution and stuff. Like you just laugh in my face. Right. That's just not true. When Bill Clinton makes mistakes, that's not on you. And for that matter, it's not on anyone else in Arizona or anyone else in the country who didn't do it. It's up to him and Strobe Talbot and the men who made his mistakes. Okay, if you let's call talk him that, being nice. A second. I want to, you know, when you say it's, it's important, not, it's important no, 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 because no, no. the I truth wanna... is America did it. This is America's fault. But by America, I mean our national government. Thank you. They picked this fight for us. Which means and for the people of Ukraine. Not against the Russian people or China people. Or, you know, this is a government, you know, people are way more. How much um, responsibility should individuals in those countries have i mean they they allow it to happen we allow it to happen Zero. we like you know but i mean, I mean do we have any of, responsibility kinda, i mean not it's not death sentence that well we look owe i mean <laughs> look i ha i have to say ernie i mean yeah, i'm glad you bring this up i mean this goes directly to the morality of Bill Clinton, H.W. Uh, Bush and Bill Clinton and Madeleine Albright and Osama bin Laden and the Al-Qaeda terrorists against us. And right up to the present day with, um, you know, the arguments about sanctions against Iran, uh, against Eastern Europe. I mean, if you ask anyone in power in America to grade them on a scale, the people of America are the freest of all. The people of America have the most democratic system of anyone I just listed, obviously, compared to the Russians, compared to the Saudis. Don't be happy and the shut Americans up. have be a limited public. So so how could anyone on the American side argue that the average Iranian is responsible for the behavior of the Supreme Leader, Khamenei, or the average Iraqi is responsible for the behavior of Saddam Hussein, who they don't have a prayer in the world. Of. In fact, when they had a chance to overthrow him, we encouraged him, Bush Sr. encouraged him to, and then we stabbed them in the them. back yeah. and let Saddam keep enough weapons to destroy them and kill 100,000 people, suppressing the insurrection. He, that was the one chance that they had, and America stabbed them in the back. And then they spent 10 years keeping them under a blockade in the name of, well, you better overthrow Saddam if you don't like it. Okay. That was the policy. This is and one then thing. that was the policy, as you know, that provoked the September 11th attack. And what did Osama bin Laden say? Bin Laden said, the American yeah, people, the they pay taxes. They vote for these people. They're responsible for what the government of America does. And that means there's really no such thing as an American civilian. Listen to them talk. They're all a democracy and the government does what the people want the government to do. Yeah. Therefore, I can kill as many of you as I want, he said. And then this is the same thinking. This is Madeleine Albright and Osama bin Laden's thinking. Collateral damage. The price is worth it. 
because you all are guilty. Now, I'm not saying, I, again, I already said, I don't hold the people of this country responsible for the things our government does. It's not our fault that Bill Clinton does what he does, makes the choices he does. Sure as hell wasn't my fault at the time, and I know it wasn't yours. And the same thing for Bush and Obama years and whatever. We've done nothing but oppose them this whole time. How collectively responsible could we be? But then if that's true, then how responsible is the average Russian for the behavior of strongman Putin? President okay, for life. This is Putin. the point that I want how to bring can, up. Let me let me do this. This is a a realization, I think, over time that people are starting to understand that their best way to muddle their way through world and time and the history that will be written 20 years from now and their children and everything is to not be so entwined or represented by their government that they kind of extract their themselves from it or at least advocate away from that. And that's where, you know, uh, movements like the libertarian movement or party or voluntarism or the Ron Paul evolution, or there's many parallel things around the world. Because you can see when you got in the Netherlands, Dutch farmers, you know, putting manure on government buildings and people in the streets protesting in, in France and Paris. They play all that down, and it's all about the government being in control. And the people at some point, they go, you know what? They don't represent me anymore. Hell, the idea of government, this democracy thing is BS. They're not really giving, they're not devolving power down to the individual. We're not the ones that are making the decisions. There are other interests other than to securing our individual rights, which was the promise, you know, this whole American experiment is the whole purpose for government was to defend individual rights. Doesn't do that. Time to alter abolish it. You're right, your duty. So I'm going, okay. Have we reached a point yet? And it's only going to happen with communication. That's why they censor. That's why they, you know, uh, scrub the Internet of searches of any kind. It's gone. Now, over the past 17 years or so, we've been doing Freedoms Phoenix. I have over 700,000 headlines. I have begun using the search on my site more than I would do Google or any others because it's gone. We saved it. Okay, we IPFS'd it, we got the mid-pages, we got, and I'm going, I know that that happened, and I know how to search, and it's freaking gone. And the only place I can see it is the mid-page where we put and what it was and the headlines and the date and all that kind of stuff. So with the information, the people, I think, would go ahead and have a, uh, a much better understanding of who really is and is not in charge, who is to blame, and a decentralization of our life, everything. You know, they're wanting us to not have children anymore. Companies are paying for abortions. I mean, it's getting bad. So I'm going, all right. What I want to do is I want to go ahead and talk about the, um, the manifestation of this realization that this is not representative of what we're talking about. So I'm going, okay, Libertarian Party. And it was just as co-opted and taken over and went down the dark path of I've been doing this for decades. But now, you know, you have what influence on the libertarian philosophy or the manifestation of foreign policy in there? And what do you think is going to happen in the 22, the 24? Like, we're on a different path now because we have this communication, this education that guys like Scott Horton have helped us to understand what's really going on behind the scenes. Now, you may have to listen to 15 gazillion interviews and so on. Go to antihorror.com. But, you know, we try and make sure that this radar screen is available for everybody on Freems Phoenix. So, I want to hear about the shift 
in the mind yeah. of the people, the shift in the uh, work being done, the shift in um, uh, rhetoric that you think is coming that's going to be in the mind. Because what do libertarians do? Decriminalization of drugs, liberalization of gun rights, you know, property rights, taxes, all this stuff has, you know, come to the forefront, a large part due to libertarian-minded people and libertarian action activists, you know, like you and me, it's out there pounding it, making sure it becomes part of the discussion, the debate, the campaign, the narrative. So now we're getting into, um, yeah. you know, what's the Libertarian Party on foreign policy and what you want to make sure that is discussed. Think of it that way, as policy, as debate topics. What is it you want to beat into the minds of America? Go. Well, I mean, first of all, it keeps sinking in, in my brain, in my level of understanding, deeper and deeper, kind of over and over again, what it really means that this change has taken place. Since I've known you and before, the Libertarian Party has been kind of a problem in brackets. I know you had a, a lot to do with trying to have your sway in there back then. And I, as far as I understand, I think you kind of gave up for a while there, but understandably so. So here's, what, here's the thing for people who don't really understand about this. And listen, there are a million great people in the LP this whole time. I'm not sitting here trying to trash all these people and whatever. Um, and, and uh, hell, they built a party for us to take over at the very, okay, very Okay, I want to inject here. I didn't give up. For all of it, was a, it was but, a baton pass. It was a tag team. It was you guys. Once you guys came up for years, okay, decades, I'm I'll just hammering that. on well, good. it. And then well, you guys I hope we're come. making you proud. So, yeah, so I just, you know, yeah. it's not that I gave up. I, I, I've given up on, you know, uh, well, let me, kind of let me the give political you my take process. Here, That's why I want you to explain sure. how politics I get you. I get is you. going Here's to start coming Here's the thing, Ernie. Now, yeah. You asked for my take, and we. Go ahead. Yeah, see, we only have half an hour, so keep in mind. Uh, <laughs> no, here's what I'm trying to say here. I got a, I got a bunch on my mind. I'm not sure if I'm going to put it in the proper order for your satisfaction, but we'll see what you think at the end. Um, first of all, is in my point of view, from a lot of you know our compatriots' point of view here, we have in the libertarian movement, we have. In no particular order, my little old Libertarian Institute. And then, of course, the Giants are the Mises Institute and the Cato Institute. And they represent kind of poles within our movement in certain ways. We don't need to elaborate, but they're both huge, of course, and influential. And then you have the Future Freedom Foundation, Hornberger and his great group there, mm -hmm. um, who've been holding it down since like 89 or something, doing great work. You, then you have like the whole Coke to push Institute for Justice or great lawyers who sue the government. And uh, there's defense priorities and concerned veterans of America are, port are important. Coke, um, you know, kind of uh, conservative and realist um, and restrainer type groups there um, on the edges of our movement, I guess. Then, of course, there's the Independent Institute, which used to be Higgs and Anthony Gregory. Um, yeah. And uh, now David Thoreau has died. Anthony's gone off to uh, be a professor and Robert Higgs has retired to Mexico, and there's not too much going on there anymore. It's a Victor Davis Hanson or something. I don't know. Um, but, you know, that's still, I'm sorry, I'm off on a tangent. Point is, you have that part of the movement there. And then, of course, there's Reason Magazine. And then there's the Libertarian Party. And the Libertarian Party 
has always sort of been like this weird cousin, which is like made up of a bunch of us, but is always run by people who make decisions and think in ways that the rest of us just can't understand. And we just haven't had, you know, it's like they say the, the commander agent problem or whatever it's called like that, where just, you know, you have this movement and you have the party and they, almost don't overlap i mean that's the way it's been for 20 years in my experience the, the libertarian the party, party convention is the rockwell.com is the place, is the place you know, where people go to find party. out where the real activism is that's it was like the high school dance they go there to find out hey where's the real action you know and then it's over there the libertarian yeah, movement it, is much fact, bigger than the party it was recommended to me that way someone someone said that to me unironically someone said that to me unironically that one of the things good about the party sucking so bad is that people come there and realize that they need to do something else and right. then they get great ideas and do other things yep. and like which is to me that's just a poor excuse like unfortunately no that's we could do way more with this. So anyway, here's a, that's what I'm trying to say. Is I'm not trying to like trash talk everyone in the party, but I'm just saying it just when you wished it was saying the thing that you wanted it to say, it just wasn't, you know, it was let's just leave it at that essentially. Right. So now what's happened is we have, as you described it correctly, a complete and total 100 percent Mises caucus takeover of the LP. Every single position on the national level, on the LNC, the chair, the judicial committee and whatever other committees and everything. It's our party now. And then so all of a sudden, really with a snap of our fingers, we have an institution that feels the way we feel, thinks the way we think, you know, says what we want them to say on the day we wish they'd say it. And it's huge. It's automatically snap of our fingers. It is at least as big as the Mises Institute in terms of its effect on you know, society and and potentially much bigger than that. I mean, we got at a minimum, what, 20, 30,000 something members. Um, and we have which that's all one big email list, too, of here's what we're all doing today, which and I'm going to believe me, I'm going to elaborate about that in a minute here a little bit. But just on the institution itself, I'm trying to drive home because I'm still trying to drive it home to myself, Ernie, the absolute almost limitless potential of the libertarian party under the control of people who really grok what the hell this is all about, what libertarianism is all about and what the hell is wrong with our country and why it needs us to save it in the way that we. Well, I hope so. Give me, give me a a couple of minutes here, Scott. I want to give the audience a little bit of history and how this is going to have, you guys can have such an impact. In the 90s, when we were very active in Arizona, we got a lot of attention to where the Wall Street Journal is like Arizona, the libertarian state. We were getting more, you know, with all our activism and newspapers and candidates and we're participating in the debates and we're getting, you know, hell, I got running for statewide office, you know, against the president of the Senate and the Speaker of the House for Secretary of State. Hell, I got 8%. You know, they're freaking, man. What the hell? Then when I ran against John McCain in 04, how did you get so much? Tell people to stop voting. Are you still voting? Well, of course, that freaked out libertarians, you know, like that. But the point that we were making is we knew the election system was bad. I have lots of lawsuits and so on. We know how bad it is. But the point is, is that during all that time, we were in opposition to the current, to the previous administrations in the National Libertarian Party because they wanted a centralized 
drank the Potomac water control of libertarians. We control from top down, not the states that made it up. So I'm going, yeah, this is a Washington water thing or something. So what happened in um, 04, 06, 08, and 10, I ran for national chair. And we put a big effort into 10, but the thing was is that it wasn't so much the way it was to show how many purists there were, you know, that libertarian principle was practical. They would make the argument, no, talk about drugs and guns, that'd be bad, and you'd lose. Well, hell, that's all. Guns and weed, guns and weed in the 90s, and we were getting way more support and fundamental understanding of the proper role of government. That was what we were advocating, and the sense that you own yourself, and uh, the, the government is there. That's why the show is declare your independence. They're there to protect rights, not take them away. Well, what happened was, as we were advocating that as the purest wing, and they call us pure and Rothbardians and all that. So we'd wear purist embroidered patches. I mean, you know, hell, we don't care. So what happened was we were keeping that flame alive, but it couldn't happen unless people really wanted it. And the Libertarian Party could easily be taken over with $10,000 here and $10,000 there and a little activist collective of group of whatever, and they're in control. Well, sooner or later, there was going to be a grassroots movement infusion into the Libertarian Party mechanism at the state levels and go after it. Well, Michael Heiss, when they started the um, uh, Mises Caucus of the Libertarian Party, young man, you know, they're all enthusiastic. They wanted, they came to me with that going, man, finally. You know, I've been waiting on you guys. You know, I no, I don't want to be part of a, a group or collective. I'm you know, just a placeholder until you guys got up your ass and, you know, the libertarian movement, you know, finally is going to do something with the libertarian party. So when it's, you know, Tom Woods and Ron Paul, Lou Rockwell and Jeff Deist and Stephen Kinsella and Bob Murphy and, and uh, you know, Michael and you and Scott Horton and all the, when they grouped together and they had a plan, I'm like, woo, here we go. So we go to New Orleans. You guys had your own thing. We got to hang there, you know, down the street, and you're doing kind of a threat. You know, here we go. We're getting ready. You guys want next time? Go whip ass. So here comes the whip ass. Finally, the Mises Caucus going, we need this voice instead of having to counter it all the time. You had them coming up and saying the stupidest crap, going left, make them bake the cake. You know, you know, Ukraine, we're with whatever that stupid, whatever they thought they were going to get the most money because their goal was membership, money, be your mother-in-law, not be mad at you because you're a Libertarian Party and you get invited to the Republican you know, Christmas parties or something. And I'm going, what the hell is your guy's goal? When Mises and the Ron Paul Revolution era mindset kind of, you know, we have an opportunity to take, yes, you do, and it won't be that hard. All you got to do is just a delegate count. So I was real supportive of um, Jacob Hornberger, Bumper, doing – uh, the presidential well, look, race. Let me, let oh, me let jump me, in there, Ernie, because, right. you know, we had we had a, a solid majority going into Reno, but all of our guys won by super majorities, especially, you know, um, our chair, Angela McArdle, got 69.55 percent of the vote there, 68.55 percent of the vote, whatever it was. On the first so ballot? This is this goes to show that much of the rank of file of the Libertarian Party Essentially, to paraphrase them, we're saying that good. This is what we needed was for some libertarians with some energy to come and take over this thing. And they supported that. And so some people were kind of butthurt about it. And a lot of people, you know, maybe believe things that were said about us rather than listen to what we were really saying. But um, we won with super majorities goes to show that. 
the Libertarian Party itself, not just the Mises Caucus movement and the new blood that we brought in, but the party itself also agreed that this is what they wanted to happen. That, as I put it in my speech when I was nominating Angela McArdle, that for those of you who've been here all along, think of it like this. The cavalry has arrived. This is the opportunity you guys have been waiting for happening. You should stop trying to turn back the tide and welcome us in because this is the wave of the future. Get used to it. And then to get to the real meat of the issue here, as you're trying to bring up in the first place, what damn difference does it make? Well, what difference does it make is the first thing we're doing is this already, you know, I don't know how successful it will be in the end, but it's been successful in terms of turning out. I don't know how many, um, but very many libertarian phone calls to Congress in support of this resolution to end the war in Yemen. And just very briefly, one, the war is absolutely horrible, as I've taught you about on the show before. Two, there's a real ceasefire right now and a real chance to end the war. And the Saudis are kind of backing out. They're kind of over it. And they've already failed. And then there's a resolution brand new in Congress. Three. Um, that we can push. And four, we just took over the LP. So how about that for a first great project for us all two together? We're all calling 833-STOP-WAR. It connects you right to your congressman. And you tell me you support H.J. Res 87. And, of course, my advice is, as always, if you live in a Democratic district, pretend to be a Democrat. Talk like a Democrat would. We support the president. He wants to end the war. And that's why we want you to support this resolution. And if you live in a Republican district, talk to him like a Republican. Donald Trump said America first. No more nation building. No more policing the world. And we don't trust Brandon to wage a war without getting us in worse blowback trouble. And so forget it. Call it off. Let's, you know, whatever you need. If the war is supporting al-Qaeda, how about that for a talking point? It's true. Tell that to your Republicans. And, and let's see if we can get solid majorities of both houses to support this thing. And then what if, I know it's a slippery slope argument I'm making here, but what if we, the libertarians, can really make the margin in helping get this thing passed? And then what if it makes the difference on the margin of forcing Biden's hand to tell the Saudis we are calling off our support for this war? Congress is making us do it, and you guys need to wrap this thing up right now. Okay, what you're talking about That'd be the most important thing in the world, and two... We could pat ourselves on the back and take a little credit for this is and, and it and it sets the template for what we can do if we want to focus on AR-15s or if we want to focus on medical freedom and abolishing the, the insurance cartels or or bank bailouts or whatever it is. is, is the sub- doesn't have to all be my ideas. Whatever the subject is, we can all Property rally. The, as you said at the very beginning, it's all about policy. It's all about getting them to stop doing the things that they're doing. And if we can rally enough of our people at once on causes like this, I think that we can Property prove rights. that we really can be the margin that makes the difference on these things. That's Ernie. why everybody, all these Congress Congressman and everything, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting somebody telling, saying how libertarian they are. That's why I ran against McCain. He was saying how libertarian he was. I'm going, oh, hell no. He is not allowed to say that in Arizona. So, you know, that's what brought that. All right, let me make some responses and finish my comment, and you'll understand why. When we do, you know, you have... 
projects. There's all these projects that libertarians can do and be the tipping point, the kingmaker on a lot of this stuff. When we do, like you say, get victories, there will be victories. Then your head swells a little bit. Well, yeah, we, we are smarter and better than, you know, can central plan. You know, there's a central plan for freedom, and we know what it is. When I talked to Michael Heist, a young man that kind of spearheaded this um, uh, Mises caucus thing. You know, I'm going, okay, I just want, as a young guy, I just want you to understand, at some point, when you take over or create an organization, you know, around a mission or a cause, sooner or later, the organization becomes more important than the reason you created it. That happens every time. So I need to know my advocacy was for the Libertarian Party be a liberty nexus, that we, like the Levolution, it was decentralized, and whatever resources the activists and states needed, the central would, you know, have it pooled, do what you want, peace out, and the paper was all the successes, everybody, whatever, and how can we help and maintain ballot status. So, I mean, that's it. I was just, you know, but to be directed from there, better be directed by platform and policy and, you know, uh, you know, the documents by which we agreed in convention or whatever, which was not happening or it was being manipulated or proxied into whatever the hell they, you know, they them those wanted. So I'm going, no, what I need is to make sure that you are not a victim of your own success, that you start believing that you can central command, you know, America according to national libertarian politics. That's the very first thing that I'm concerned with is that you are going to be successful. There is going to be some changes. Then here comes the money. Here comes the influence, if you will only, which is what we saw happen with all this, you know, Barr, Bill Weld, Nick Sarwark crap, you know, that was going on. So I don't want to get into that again because you're so influential and a victim of your influence that the Libertarian Party now is going to have. What do I want? I want property rights. I'm at the age we're going to be building. It's my land outside a municipality in the county of nowhere of suck it and I get to do whatever the hell I want and build my fallen down house and live beneath the rubble. I mean, what do you care? So the thing is, is yeah. that property rights is going to be a big thing that I'm pushing. This is it. Is the Libertarian Party going to be a vehicle for that? Ah, we don't want to do that, or we're not supporting people that, that, and we got another more important of that, blah, 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 blah. Look, I don't need you to do it. It's just, do you have any resources? Are you good, you know, for us doing libertarian things as activists in Arizona, kind of, or in Washington State, or in New Hampshire, or whatever? What good are you? Well, you're good for what you want to do. What about what I want to do? What libertarians want to do about libertarianism? What resource are you to the activist? That was always my advocacy. And I see a powerful influence of Mises Caucus Libertarian Party coming in. We're in charge now, and we're going to you know, make this call and do this and vote for this guy. and call you. All of a sudden, I'm being directed to again, which is what they tried to do with the Ron Paul Levolution. And the whole point that I was advocating is there is no head of the snake. It's decentralized down to the activists. Do whatever the hell you want. How can I help? Now, this is what I see the real power of libertarian philosophy is, is it's decentralized down to the activists with, uh, you know, a, a, a touch base support structure of whatever you need to facilitate the individuals doing what they want. You see my point? And I'm afraid that the Mises caucus is going to be extremely successful. See, therefore, it works. We're going to do it this way. And then you start going sliding down the same path as opposed to supporting the proper role of government and the advocacy of individuals that own themselves, that want to advocate for whatever freedoms that they have. Address that. 
because that, that is my main concern. I'm glad you guys are there. I could tap out, you know, and go focus on the other stuff that I wanted to do, which is, you know, what I've been doing. But now I need the libertarian influence, the party, the apparatus to advocate for my rights to live in my own freaking house on my own land that's not in the city limits. But suck it. Occupy the land with attainable housing. This is my next big thing. So I want to occupy the land freely of what use can the Libertarian Party be for that? Well, look, I think uh, it depends on the level of politics that we're talking about. When it comes to issues like you're talking about, I think, you know, the outer limit is actually getting elected to the kinds of offices where you can at the very least obstruct that kind of oppression and try to protect people and intervene and nullify as much as you can in those ways. I think for the national party, of course they can support whatever efforts are, are, you know, are being done on the local level. Um, yeah, I'm allowed to own in the something name of the party happy. that are productive. Huh? I'm allowed to own something and be happy. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, look, the point is to me, I think the doctrine of the Mises caucus is First and foremost, opposing the very worst things about our government, like the genocide in Yemen and, uh, for example, inflation and bank bailouts and the boom and bust cycle and corruption in um, the medical cartels that rigged the prices against everyone so badly and and all the the national uh, support for the war on drugs on all levels. These kinds of things are just atrocities that absolutely has to be stopped but then of course that doesn't mean that the other things that need to be confronted should be ignored right it's just a matter of priority but yes we should also always make the time for things that sure as hell sounds like an emergency to you that you get to do what you want on your own land uh, without people stopping as long as you're not like polluting the groundwater for your next door neighbor some kind of thing with a real externality for someone else to have standing to sue you over then, yeah, I mean, of course. And and look, I actually read a thing in the New York Times about Democrats, or at least a Democrat, who, when he was going around his district, he figured out that what people wanted to hear was the repeal of regulations, the cutting of red tape. How the hell am I supposed to run my business when you make me do this and this and this and all of it completely unreasonable on its face, all of it written by lobbyists for rent-seeking companies trying to eliminate their competition through, you know, complete, like that movie Brazil-style, just ridiculous regulatory, um, you know, warfare, essentially, against their competition. The kinds of things that should be repealed, the kinds of laws and regulations that should be repealed by the hundreds and by the thousands. And here's a Democrat candidate who learned That is what people want to hear. They're really sick and tired of being told what to do every second of every day and having some inspector come out to look and and nitpick their company into the ground and pay all these taxes and all these fines. And and look, so and this is here's my thing, too, man, is people might have never heard the word libertarian. But frankly, um, and this is what I've always liked best about Hornberg is that this is the creed of the Declaration of Independence of the United States of America, that every individual is born with natural rights, and you can leave us the hell alone. And if you insist on telling us what to do, 
at some point we'll fight. And that in this country, unlike almost every country's structure in the world, at least in theory, the people are sovereign and allow their government to exist to be their security force. The state doesn't come first. The people come first. And that is, you know, supposedly the way it's supposed to work around here. And then the government's job is to make sure to protect our freedom. Now, I'm much more of an anarchist than that, and I know you are too. To me, the best way they can protect our freedom is going at least almost all the way away, if not all the way away, which in terms of running a libertarian party, I think we can run as extreme minarchists and not be in contradiction there. I think that's fine. But the point being, being, you know, staying radically anti-government in spirit and in principle. And, and I want to give a shout out to the pragmatists uh, here because I think, you know, there's been this, the real problem is the, the party's been run by pragmatists who have been essentially positioning themselves as opposite some real doofus radicals. And I'm not naming names here, but I'm just saying like overall, there are people who think that radicalism and libertarianism means essentially being a jackass and having a nose ring or putting prostitution and heroin vending machines first or whatever kind of the most ridiculous sort of thing uh, wearing roller skates and fairy wings on C-SPAN and this kind of crap that just other people cannot identify with whatsoever and completely turns people away. So if you're a pragmatist who's sort of like a Republican but who got, you know, smart about pot and gay rights and a couple other things and, and you're in now join the Libertarian Party and then you see these radicals who are just essentially kooks who don't even have much to say anyway except acting like fools or something like that then that would reinforce your more Republican kind of sensibilities that what we need is to be much more normal and much less radical. But my thing is this, is the solution to that whole riddle is Ron Paul. Ron Paul is a gentleman, an extremely decent man. He doesn't get mad. And like, if you hit him, he would be like, you jolly well better not do that again or something. You know what I mean? Like this is a he's such a decent guy. And yet his politics are as radical as they could be. Like essentially his argument to this is paraphrasing, but essentially his argument is you could repeal every single law passed since 1791 and that would suit him just fine. Yeah. Right. Like this is a guy who is just as radical as could be on every single thing. The Washington Post was like, you're trying to sell this country out. And he goes, come on, we could defend this country with a couple of good submarines. Right. Like this is our guy. I don't have to tell you about the virtues of Ron Paul, but the point of the, the thing about Ron Paul that makes him so, so, so special is the irony of the man. Right. He's the Republican for legalizing weed. He's the Air Force vet for ending all the wars. He's the total square baby doctor, you know, country doctor who, you know, supports your right to be as radical as you want. But he you're going to have to accept the consequences the of that to prove the rule. I, you know, it was. You know, yeah, but there. Well, Ron Paul. You keep pointing to Ron Paul. Well, I think he's the model. I mean, look, Harry Brown was the same way in a different way. Harry Brown was a different kind of class. Where Ron's a country doctor, Harry was like an international banker type in a way, like a junior international banker, but extremely classy guy. It's you know very much a gentleman and absolutely as radical as could be. And I think that that is more or less the 
uh, template that we want to follow, right? Is we want to be, look, we're trying to normalize these views. Again, this is the Declaration of Independence. This isn't just libertarianism. This is what America is supposed to be all about. Thanks. If we want to normalize these views, and look, I'm a skater punk, stoner, you know, hypocrite, pirate radio boy here too, talking this shit. But I'm just saying, you know, it is true that if we would just wear shirts with buttons and and behave a little bit more like gentlemen, while we say our radical anti-government politics, it that irony really helps it stick. Just like a good deadpan joke will kill you, you know? Like that's, I think, the approach more of us should be taking. And to that end, whenever anybody says something stupid to me on Twitter, I just mute them. Like if they have an actual question for me or like an argument that's a reasonable argument, they want to like engage with me, that's one thing. But if they just say something stupid to me, mute. And I just don't do it. I try my very, very best. Sometimes I break my rule, but I try my very, very best not to argue with anybody, dude. They just you, go away. Yeah, you know, I'm not, not going to do that anymore. I got bigger fish to that. fry. His thing was um, it's good to have the idiots around to have the argument for the benefit of the audience. But at some once you make your point, you're done. I don't want to have a flame war. You know, I said, yeah, OK, did you get express right. yourself? You done? OK, I did mine. We're done. Mute. Done. You know? And this is yeah. Been- and the war. Yeah. The war against the loser brigade is over, man. We have the party now. Now the enemy is the national government. And that's who we're trying to give hell to here more than any other force in the world. You know. All right. What do you this is good before you go? We've got a couple of minutes. Just go ahead and give me, you know, what plans, great plans do you have uh, in the LP that are going to affect the 22 election cycle and then uh, 24 presidential? You know, I kind of got. You know, a little back-end news and rumblings of or whatever. Give me the Scott Horton version of what's coming. Okay. Well, first of all, my ideas for our priorities that also coincide with what a lot of other people think, too, and is already, like, agreed by others in the party that this is the direction that they want to go to, is we want to be, you know, absolutely as out front as we can possibly be on the wars in Yemen and Ukraine. We want to be out front as we can possibly be on the Federal Reserve and inflation and inflationary money and the boom-bust cycle and gold and why people need to read Rothbard to understand why it's like this and, and et cetera like that. And then also, I have a proposal for what I call the inflation fighter, which is where we focus on trying to roll back every kind of tax and fee and fine on the American people while we have this huge inflation, at least – for, you know, on an on a temporary basis that we can try to make indefinite. Depends where we're at. We got 50 states and a million jurisdictions in this country. So on indefinite, the fight can I be fought in all different ways. But <laughs> property taxes, you know, they just in the middle of the worst bubble in Austin's history, they just raised every they just reassessed everybody's property and raised everybody's taxes through the roof. That should do. be illegal. Should not be able to do that when everybody knows we're in an artificial boom bust type situation. They should have to take that back and refund that money. And wait until there's, you know, I'm not saying never assess again or whatever, but at least for this argument. But (laughs) you don't get to take advantage of inflationary bubbles to screw everybody on taxes like this. And gas taxes, just suspend them all. That's where we can make a difference immediately. You know, and and of course, we can deregulate, try to loosen up supply and and have more drilling in West Texas and whatever the hell. I'm for it. But I'm just saying um, where fines and fees look, the, the people who work. For hourly wages who rent their homes in this country are, you know, everybody is getting screwed. But those people are, they're getting screwed, but they're standing on the edge of a cliff, man. And they're, you know, living 
uh, and hell, I'm pretty close to this myself. I'm maybe one one rung up from here. But there are millions and millions, tens and maybe more than 100, 200 million Americans are living not very far from in their car. You know, um, and and the price inflation right now is really hurting people so bad. Yeah, and I'm it's something where, you know, we can and be th- teaching people about the causes, but we can be trying to ameliorate the effects as best as we can for people, I think. It's one of my highest priorities. Well, and then, oh, and then I'm sorry, on the tactics, I'm all about. Go ahead. I'm sorry, you're breaking up on me, Ernie. No, go ahead there. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish your thought. I can't hear. I can't hear you, man. Your your internet is cutting out so bad. Yeah, I'm sorry for that. You know, we're getting you pretty good, but um, um, I can hit the stop stream. Okay, here. Let me let me just wrap up here real quick with saying that um, it's like this, man. Is my idea one one idea, and it's not just mine too. Other people have. Uh, in fact, somebody sent me yesterday. They had written an article like this from a couple of years ago. Um, but I think we have to recognize. That in the American system, it's 51% winner take all. That's why it's a two-party system. It's because you have these coalitions of these different interests that line up more or less as the right wing and the left wing coalition in the country to try to get that bare majority of that winner take all 51%. And so question one, is the Libertarian Party about to replace the Republican Party as the right party in America? No, it's not. Now, on some level... On the state and local level, are there places where we can win races if we're really smart and got a really talented guy and a really advantageous opportunity? Absolutely, yes. And we should try to do that. And that should be a priority for sure. But the most important thing that we can do is we can attack in certain races, focus on destroying the incumbent and especially Republican incumbents and give them a real reason to fear us. And give us actually, you know, de- we'd have to be demonstrated that, yeah, as much as we hate it, the Democrat won two, three, four, five times now because we came in and attacked the right from the right and humiliated the guy for being a big government rhino, you know, um, big talker, not promise keeping type of uh, guy. And that we're going to keep doing that to them until they give in to the following demands. And then we make our demands and we run the Libertarian Party essentially a a, a huge part. I don't mean to to sum that up too too simply. We use the Libertarian Party. One of the things we should do is use the Libertarian Party as an extortion racket against the Republicans. Make them hate and fear us. And the thing is, we can do it to the Democrats, too. We can attack the left from the left. The things that they're good on, we're better than them on. And we can do a great job of attacking Democrats, too. The reason I say the Republicans by default is just because they're the more capitalist party. And then in the broader sense, you know, we are considered by most to be on the right overall or whatever and believing in property rights at all as opposed to being the socialist or something. But we can attack the left from the left in significant races, especially where we have horrible incumbents who really deserve it, you know, like Tammy Duckworth or Lindsey Graham, you know, in the Democrat and Republican Party, people like that. Ted Cruz, the last time John Cornyn, boy, does he have it coming. He wants to run for Senate again. Let's run a national campaign for whoever his opponent is. And then that opponent should just ignore Beto or whoever the stupid Democrat is and should just barbecue corn and just destroy that SOB and then make him lose. And then we have a cudgel to threaten them with, you know, 
And um, I think this really is doable. And I think um, that, uh, you know, because not only could we withhold our attacks, we might just spend the next race attacking the other guy if you really make us feel good. Uh, or we might see again in two years and make your life hell again. I see you again in four and make your life hell again. And I think we really can do that, especially right now. Because unlike in the 1990s, like in your heyday and whatever, you had a lot of rallying around both parties. A lot of people, for whatever stupid, horrible reasons, pleased with both parties as representing their position, certainly much more than now. Where now you have this massive crisis of confidence in all American institutions, and especially Congress, and especially the political parties, and especially look at who's the president and the vice president right now. And they're just not credible leaders. They're just not. Biden just got busted reading the teleprompter saying, repeat that line <laughs> out loud while his cross-eyed idiot vice president is standing right next to him. And she probably, you know, there ain't nothing going on in there except try not to fall down or whatever, you know. Um, uh, so there's a huge opportunity here uh, for, and, and let me uh, ramble one more thing here. On all those most important issues that we talked about here, um, and really all all important political issues in America. It's not just that we put liberty first and we're smart and like each other and understand Austrian economics or whatever. It's not just that. It's that we got the answer for everything. And the Freedom's that, the answer. What's the question? Ex yes, that's exactly right. And the thing is, like, that's not just a cliche. Like, that's really right. And it's not just that we're right about everything because, you know, we have our principles right or whatever. But it's also that we're a bunch of nerds who are really obsessed with trying to figure out, like, what really is wrong here and what really would be the best thing to do. And, you know, it just so happens we continue to notice that government's the problem in the first place, 99 times out of 100 on whatever the crisis is. And, and we can explain. I'll give you one example. Right. The the left, broadly speaking, the left thinks the problem with healthcare in America is capitalism. You have greedy capitalists charging people, overcharging people for being a patient and it just seems immoral and it just don't seem right. And we ought to nationalize it. Yeah. Then you got the right wingers who go, yeah, the problem is socialism. And the problem is you have all this socialism in the thing and that's what destroyed it all. And now they want it to be even more socialist than that. But the libertarians are the ones who go, nah, man, what it is, is it's fascism, right? It's corporatism. Those leftists are right about the capitalists. But what they're wrong about is that it ain't just capitalists are greedy or whatever stupid thing. Profits are sinful or whatever stupid crap they think. What it is is that those capitalists bribe Congress to pass laws to make them to protect themselves. That's it. And in, as, as Ludwig von Mises says, in free market capitalism, the customer is king. In this case, the patient is king. But once you have a rigged market, once Congress has the power to pass all these laws to regulate the industry, it's not the patients who come up with like the patients group international to protect our interests or whatever. That doesn't happen. What happens is the insurance companies and the pharmaceutical companies and the hospital companies, those capitalists, the leftists are mad at, they go and bribe up some congressmen. Now the system is rigged for supply at the expense of demand. In this case, sick patients. So now, just again, as Mises said, the middle of the road leads to socialism. You have all this intervention in the name of 
fairing up the market, squaring up the market so that regular people have a decent shot and good care. And instead, what you get is a conspiracy of the owners of the companies versus their customers. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, the owners of the companies in conspiracy with the government against their customers. And so then that being the case, and everybody who listened to me say that just now could probably say it a lot better than I did. But you understand what the hell I'm talking about. If we can explain it, not like I just said it, but yeah, make that point, then we can show what the real answer is, right? Socialism is not the opposite of our capitalist system here. Socialism is more of the same. It entrenches the corporatist problem, the conservative economic problem that we have. And what we need is a radical free market in insurance, in hospital companies, in pharmaceutical companies, in doctors' companies. We need to repeal 10 million regulations that rig the market. Well, how the is way the campaigns is. for Congress and U.S. Senate for going into the 22 election side? Is there a plan for that? Is there a recruitment? Is there a vetting process? Is there resources? I don't know much about that, man. I, I don't. I don't know much about that. I'm more of an ideologue. Um, I'm going to the LNC meeting at the end of this month, and I'm going to find out as much as I can about those kinds of things. You know, of course, my focus for the long term is on running Dave Smith for president in 2024 and as he says if there's somebody better to do it he's happy to take the back seat and let them go ahead because he doesn't really want to run for principle president. but the reality is practical is- i need somebody to make that argument i need you know, go oh well, that's not practical the hell it's not freedom is always the answer sounds to me like you need a little more freedom is what sounds to me you know if david can do that i'm all in I, this is what I've been waiting for. He can do it, man. He's, well, he's the problem with Harry Brown, you know, we as had, good as any libertarian we, communicator I, I, we've I ever had. I know he does. Uh, the no. problem that I had with Harry Brown, he's spoken at our Freedom Summits. We were in the middle of blah, blah, blah. It wasn't him. It was his staff. It was the party. It was their goals. It was national funding of the campaign, you know, purposeful presidential blah 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 they're just in it for the money and how many times they can do mailings and they own the mailing house yeah this ain't like that man i know this is my point that now you have a good candidate with a principled you know at least got a mission even if it's a central plan mission to go get some more freedom or something you know it's not my first advocacy but the point is is that you have a good team of you guys that i know interviewed i know i know what's going on here and a good candidate that's not afraid to articulate it and can with humor, with understanding. It doesn't have to convince everybody. You just have to make sure everybody in the country understands why you're so convinced. As long as they can understand it, you get that splinter in their right. cortex, the world will change. And that is what I've been advocating for all this time. And I'm going, okay, so now I'm focused Well, listen, on- I mean... I. I- Go ahead. I mean, when this happens, Ernie, I'm already counting on you and the Arizona guys. And there's such a great group of libertarians in Arizona. I mean, just all of them are just incredible. They're Mises Caucus people and, you know, your old crew, you and Charles Goyette's crew going way back to the Ron Paul Revolution and whoever. And, um, We're you know, sitting, I, we'll I know, wait. I don't know if everybody knows, but I know that you are the one who coined that Ron Paul Revolution, right? Yeah. So yeah, we came up with the logo um, and everything, but it's going to be great, man. It's, we're, that's what we're trying to do here, right? We're, look, Ron Paul, they sabotaged him. They made it so he couldn't be the president. We kind of knew that was going to happen. But what it was, as I said at the time, and you liked it, 
was what this really is, is this is a, the, a great excuse to do a national speaking tour on behalf of peace and liberty, on behalf of libertarian thought and you know, libertarian solutions to these problems. And it was it was magnificent, man. 2008 was just and again, the campaign, they didn't quite grok the message. But Ron Paul is Ron Paul. And you just can't ruin that. You know, I mean, that thing was and the and the grassroots Ron Paul revolution of that era was, you know, that's what we're going for is another 20 million new libertarians in the country. You know, another 20 million people who don't believe in the lies about our foreign policy anymore, who don't, you know, accept that just government ought to print the money to buy whatever they think they need or whatever it is at our expense. And this way, this to understand the causes of the boom and bust cycle and how we can end it. And all of these things are so much work to be done. And but you know what, frankly, like, I think we can do it. I think, you know, and I think Dave is the best at putting this all in terms that regular people can just understand the way things have got to be. And I and again, and I think the party apparatus itself now with Heiss and Angela McArdle and the rest of the team, I think that they can make use of this thing as a weapon against the other parties um, as a, a tool of extortion. As I, I was only saying advocate in order that they to include get what we want in some cases anyway, you know, of individual activists and their libertarian whatever the issue is important to them there that they be a resource and when they uh, too many times the national libertarian party not only would go nah we got another central plan fine is there anything that you got for me any information any research any advocacy any publication that we can advocate is there a forum that we can do what eh not so much fine so then it goes outside of the party you know, and I'm hoping that they can be a support structure for the important, the little school uh, budget thing in, uh, you know, New Hampshire, the little property right thing here, the you know, personal property tax on that. The, 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 there's a lot of people you want to cultivate that enthusiasm of that one soccer mom that's willing to go kick ass if they only had a little bit of encouragement. You know, they don't even need money. They just need, yeah, you go, girl, boom, and they're off. That has not happened before. And if it gets to the point to where, no, you're doing it wrong, I'm like, yeah, then you're down the dark path again. So I'm just, you know, that's what I'm encouraged by. Because if I can get that, by the time it gets to 24 and Dave Smith doing this, ooh, we got another revolution. Because the party in right. 08 in Denver, they thought I could do, oh, well, you know, Ernie's here with the running for chair and you have the, you know, the revolution. Yeah, we'll be all great if you'll have the revolution encouraged. The revolution goes and it's a Bob Barr revolution. I'm like, then you guys freaking don't get it, do you? You know, one, that ain't ever going to happen. Two, there's no control. There's no central plan of this thing. It's people. And three, if it was, it wouldn't work anyway. And I'm going, this has to be a spontaneous order thing. And we are prime for the next revolution between the ears. It is coming. Yep. It is inevitable. It's baked into cake, certainly financially. And with the economy and the U.S. dollar and the petrodollar and all, it's going to happen. We are inevitably going to these very fundamental questions that have been throughout human history as long, far back as I can, you know, think you sit around, you know, the campfire with a bunch of libertarians and it's the exact same conversation that's been going on for a thousand years. And you go, okay. What's the role between me and the sovereign, me and the king, me and the government, me and they, them, those, you know, and it's what's their purpose? Well, the American experiment, their purpose for existing was the protection of individual rights. And that concept has been gone. And the idea that you own yourself, 
gone. You know, all of this. And then, you know, you're not allowed to have babies anymore. Or we're going to fund your abortions. Or we're going to whatever. I mean, life has been. I mean, that was an Ayn Rand thing. She was like, I mean, you don't want to be anti-life. Well, what she meant was is not conducive to life. You know, to, to living, to producing and keeping what's yours. And I mean, it is so fundamental what we're going to be facing. And the fact that, like, a Calvary over the hill. Yep. Just in time, the Mises Caucus taking on this philosophy and being it. But you can't beat them with their methods. It can't be a central plan for freedom. It has to be a support for those that are advocating for freedom. That's the only injection right. that I want to make sure gets into this. Before you go, there was um, you, Scott Horton versus Kathy Young at Soho. Now, I want to about whether we should be sending weapons to Ukraine, which is an easy one. But... That was Dave Smith did a Soho debate. I think it was with Nick Sarwark kicked the shit out of him, you know, and that's kind of where it became obvious where this needed to go and what gave Dave Smith a, a big leg up on this. Now, your experience, yeah. I, did, I haven't watched it yet. It's up on top of Freedoms Phoenix, you know, right now. Or, we, yeah, we sent it in dispatch last night. Now, the Soho Forum, how did that come about? What happened? What was the result? Real quick, and then I'll let you go. Sure. Um, well, what happened was... Uh, Gene Epstein, our good friend uh, from the Soho Forum, arranged it and invited Kathy Young from Reason Magazine and Bill Crystal's The Bulwark uh, to argue for arming Ukraine. And I argued against it. And her friend that she brought with her voted for her and everybody else voted for me. It was a total wipeout. And um, not that it was that hard because I'm right. And all I had to do was just say things out loud and it well, was over so you can go and look at it it's on my Ukraine twitter feed it's on the blog at the libertarian institute and it's well it's kathy young so asterisk she writes for reason magazine and has for a very long time but that doesn't make her a libertarian and it never has in fact uh tom wood said something slamming her the other day and a libertarian i know from here in texas um put uh, linked to something she wrote in, I think, October of 2001, saying that foreign policy is not the cause of September 11th. And thank goodness the FBI is going to read all our emails now in the pages. Of re that was her immediate reaction to September 11th was that kind of toady. And so, I mean, that's who she's always been. Ramondo, if you search antiwar.com for the name Kathy Young, you'll find 10 times where Ramondo took her to the woodshed. And they're all hilarious. Um, so, um she ain't so tough in real life, I'll tell you what. Um, but then also, let me say real quick, and I do have to go, is uh, I got a brand new book out, and it is a collection of interviews. Uh, however, it's awesome, man. When I was reading it, I was like, man, this is great. I know people are going to love it. It's called, uh, it's from my show. It's called Hotter Than the Sun, Time to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. And it's really all about nuclear weapons. Who's got them and um, the risks of war and nuclear winter and the military-industrial complex the rogue states of Syria, Iraq, Iran, Israel, North Korea, the uh, nuking of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and then the anti-nuclear activists who are, you know, trying to push new treaties and get the things abolished. You know, the Catholic nuns who go and bang on nuclear warheads with hammers and go to prison for years for, you know, doing civil disobedience type stuff and all this kind of thing. So um, it's really great. I know everybody's going to love it. And uh, Tom Woods read it and thought it was rad and interviewed me about it. And uh, same for Clinton Russell and a couple other people. I'm really proud of it. It's a really great thing. And so uh, well, you also that have out. it out it's on Amazon. Book, don't you? Well, if you go to um, uh, uh, 
hotter than the sun.com. It'll forge on hotter than the sun.com. And that'll take you to the page of the libertarian Institute where we have a playlist of all the interviews in there. So, you know, cause it's transcripts of interviews. So you can't really make an audio book out of that. I don't think that's within the rules, yeah, but you yeah. can, uh, but you can just go to hotter than the sun.com and you can listen to all the interviews that the book is made of. As yeah. Well. I was looking to so, see, get the enough, Already audiobook available. You're coming. Unfortunately, the, the, the playlist there is all out of order. We need to drag and drop it into the correct order. I, so I think well, we Fool's Errand. And I remember you doing Fool's Errand was like, you know, oh my God, I got to do the audio. I've got audiobooks of Fool's Errand and Enough Already, by the way. In fact, I've almost sold as many Enough Already as I have of Fool's Errand of the audiobook. So um, that's pretty good. Going pretty well there. So yeah. We'll no, I do, the audiobook thing is, and you do your own reading, right? Of course. Of course. Who would be so libertarianinstitute.org slash books. This has been a great interview. You gave us a perspective. And I, you know, I, I just want, you know, little Ernie, you know, on the shoulder kind of looking. I'm one thing. If you if the Libertarian Party now under Mises caucus control becomes a central plan as opposed uh, total. I mean, I'm sure she got a plan. I mean, whatever. Knock yourself out. But if that doesn't include, you know, being a. A free resource. Nah, nah, nah. That's all a red herring, man. Don't worry about that. All right. Nah, I just nah, need nah. a resource to look, the activist that Central planning. If, look, here, here, here's what we're talking about in terms of central planning. Is me getting the LNC to agree that let's do our email list and our Twitter and let's try for a couple of weeks to whip everybody into calling Congress to oppose the war in Yemen. Now, is that a central plan or that's an agreement by the committee to do a thing? You know what I mean? This isn't a matter of a state with totalitarian control and, and canceling price be, structures and crap. That has nothing to do with one, it. And another it's one. just a matter of, can can we corral a bunch of cats to do the same thing at the same time to actually move a margin? Can we, you know what I mean? Is it a central plan to hold a fundraiser for a candidate? I mean, come on. No, I, I understand. It's not what we're talking about here. I'm just it has nothing to do with what we're talking that, about here. Because where it comes from is people like Donna and I, people like you, a skateboarder from Austin, all of a sudden rising to prominence after 9-11. It has, you know, a lot of other people that have been very effective, a comedian like Dave Smith. These people come up, and they all they don't even need anything other than encouragement or, you know, a, a resource to be able to get some graphics or right. artwork or, you know, even a video. The, I mean, the philosophy of liberty video has been used all to hell. This kind of stuff needs to be resources available to the local activist. If they're not serving them, then what the hell good are they? You know, in my opinion, I'm just saying. So, but right. I'm glad you guys are there. Well, it's on now. Listen, today is the first day of the – look, it, it it's on, man. It's on. Look, as you said in your introduction here. Total takeover. In other words, you can rank the libertarian part. And I know it sounds unreal and it takes a little adjustment. It does. It takes a little while to sink in. The libertarian party now, there's every reason to consider it right up there as equal peers with the Mises Institute and antiwar.com and the very best of the libertarian movement. And from and maybe the biggest and most important of all the libertarian institutions and and singing the song we want it to sing, man. Telling the story we yes, want to tell instead of in Normandy. 20 years of cringe. <laughs> now it's on, man. It's on. The beachhead is secure. Now at least you got you got That's a throw right. in there. We're bringing in the resources. That's There's right. going to be some whip-ass going to Berlin. You know, here we go. 
Berlin, D.C. Same That's thing. right. And and for all the crybabies, and for all the crybabies who said the point of the Mises Caucus was somehow to be mean to gay people or black people or whatever, well, just look at what we're doing. It obviously has nothing to do with any of that, and you're stupid. So boo-hoo and sayonara for you. For all the actual libertarians in this country who want to fight against the national government, join up. In fact, go to scotthorton.org slash LP, and I'll get a kickback when you join. Nah! And now I got to go, man, because I got another show. But thank you, Ernie. I love you, bud. Peace, brother. Bye. See you, man. Oh, man. You know, we got, you know, good stuff. We'll just keep the, uh, we'll just keep the Skype open. I mean, the Zoom open for when she comes in. The, um, this has been a really, 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 really interesting time. And we, you know, keep tabs on it. But we were involved in this deeply for decades and when it got to where, you know, the Levolution app, we demonstrated, proved that decentralization down to the individual activists with a spontaneous order of just get the hell out of the way, we'll take care of it. The more you try and control that, it doesn't work. And I'm just hoping that, you know, we'll see, you know, the, the guys that got off their butt and actually did it are now in charge and they want to do what they want to do. So peace, do it, you know, but keep in mind, I'm going to be very watchful of the one thing that I always sees happen. They're going to be successful in using a focused action. So then they're going to want to do it again and again and again. And then it becomes a central plan. And that was uh, in the nineties. They did one thing. They said, look, if you donate to the libertarian party for the specific project, this specific project, what we're going to do is we're going to put full-page ads in the newspaper. You know, Libertarian Party and Freedom and, you know, Drug War and Guns, whatever the hell it was. And it had a bunch of, you know, full-page ads, New York Times kind of thing. If you donate that, we get, you know, our sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000. Then we go, okay, we're going to go whip ass. Well, what happened was, is um, it was very successful and raised a lot of money. All right, we'll do it again. Okay, we'll do it again. And then, yeah, I see you there, Mike. Hold on a second. I'll be right with you, man. And then what happened was this. They go, yeah, um, we just want you to donate to the general fund, and then we'll kind of vote to take that money and do these projects. Boom, the money dried up because they knew better. They were just looking for a popular thing to raise money with and then spending the whatever the hell they wanted to. So I'm going, nope, 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 And people, nope, not doing it. If you have a specific project, like Ron Paul campaign, like you know, uh, uh, a specific issue like war, anti-war, or property rights, or, you know, whatever. Boom. I'm in. You know, drug war, boom. Second Amendment, boom. I want a targeted, this is where my money is going. It is so much more effective, in my opinion, that if you directly donate to a specific thing, which might be what for the party now? I don't know. We're going to find out. So I'm like, cool. You know? Oh, yeah, you can see Donna's. Soaps. Ah, she just made a bunch more. We ran out of soap, man. I need soap. So you made soap. So uh, I, I, nothing has touched this beautiful body other than my wife's soap for years. And it's a mucho buenoer. Right, 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 right. All right. Great segment we had. Pace, we're going to go ahead and just switch right to, I'll make part of the same show um, uh, with Mike Winter. Now let's go ahead and just go right to that. And uh, what? Ah, oh, no, we got it. All right, we'll go ahead and um, uh, come right back. 
and we'll do because Donna's going to have to switch graphics and so on. So we'll go ahead and save this real quick, and we'll be right back. Give us five minutes on the stream, and we'll come right back with Mike Winter from Cordell. We're going to get an update on that. Pace. 